we'll be starting in John 5. Verses 24 through 29 are somewhat of a review, but we haven't been in John in a while, so I just kind of wanted to back up. Of course, this is uh, the chapter, if you go all the way back to the beginning, where um, Jesus, uh, he heals the guy at the pool of Bethesda, and we talked about that. He told him to take up his bed and walk, and he asked him the question, do you want to be made whole? And you know, because of this, um, some are calling it... um, chemical, biological warfare that we're going under, but whatever the COVID thing is, in your opinion, uh, there's a lot of destruction that's happening that are kind of secondary issues, like people losing their finances because they don't have jobs, people losing uh, their mental well-being and stability and health. You know, where uh, Maddie was just even acknowledging praying for people that have suicidal thoughts, right? Um, I mentioned last week the number one killer last year of all was abortion of like 40-something million babies killed. That was the, lead, the leading killer uh, last year. Um, but yeah, so Jesus asked the guy, do you want to be made whole? And he said, yes. And so he put his faith and trust on the very word of Jesus, and he was made whole. And so then we come down to verse 24 in John chapter Five And he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. Has everlasting life. How do you get it? By believing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you hear it, the good news, that's what the word gospel means, that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. If you put your faith alone and the gospel alone and Christ alone, you have everlasting life. And he says, you will not come into condemnation, but you have passed from death to life. Because basically, everyone that you pass on a daily basis that does not know Jesus Christ is like the walking dead. They're not contagious in that if they bite your neck, you're going to become one of them. Um, it makes a wonderful AMC series, but um, people without the life of Christ are a body, a soul, and a dead, separated spirit. What they need is to be regenerated and to have the life of God, and that comes by them simply saying with their will, because they're a live soul, when their soul, they could say with their will, yes to the gospel or no to the gospel. If they say yes to the gospel, they then pass from that walking dead condition to walking living condition with the promise now and forever to be in the presence of the Lord. So you've passed from condemnation and you've passed from wrath and you've passed from judgment and you've passed from death to life. All based on what Jesus has done. It says in verse 25, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. Uh Uh-oh, there's two things there. The hour is coming, that's the future, and now is. When Jesus said that, he said that in his day. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. And so he's, he's referring to the resurrection. And there was a resurrection. There was resurrection of people. Remember Jesus walked by and dead people came out of their graves? Uh, remember he said he came to lead the captives, he set, set them free, and Jesus rose from the dead, and there's going to be a future resurrection. And so that's kind of what he's referring to, and we'll look at that here in a minute. For the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So if you, what dead people need the most is life. Right? What dead people need the most is life. And there's only one source where life derives. And the genesis or the originator or the origin of life is in God. If you do not have God, that's why it says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Why is it the second death? Because if you're a dead man or a dead woman walking now without the life of Christ, you die and you do not have Christ. You're cast into the lake of fire and then you're separated from God because the word death really simply means to be separated from the source of life who's God. And so God's not willing that any should face the second death or 
live in a condition where you're walking around without his life. He wants you to have a relationship with him. So he says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So that's a future event of the resurrection. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now there's nothing good that you could do to, to get you to enter into the, um, the, the gates of heaven, per se. Remember Jesus, someone comes up to Jesus that said, good master, and Jesus says there's none good but one, God. So the only good thing, even Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. There's nothing good about us. The only good thing that we have is if we have the Lord Jesus. So if you have the, the good, good Father living in you, that's the only thing that makes you and I good. Jesus said in verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. And as I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not uh, my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is life. The second thing we're going to talk about is will. And it's from that verse. Number 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. The third thing we're going to talk about is a witness. There's another that bears witness of me, and I know the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth, but I receive not testimony from man. But the things that I say, um, the things, these things I say that you might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the second death. He was, John, was a burning and shining light. Remember he said, uh, he likened himself to the moon and Jesus as the sun. He's like, I'm not that light. I'm just a reflection of that light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do. And we're going to talk about his works today. So much so that not even the book's of the library of, of, uh, in Alexandria can t- contain the works that Jesus did. There's some 40 miracles. Most scholars land on 37, but there's some other ones that you could count um, in the Gospels. And um, there's some 40 of those miracles that are laid out in the Gospels. Uh, but there were so many more things that Jesus did that are not recorded in the Gospels. But those were recorded so that they could be a witness So that believing those, you might have life in his name. So he says, I have a greater witness than John. Uh, I already read that. Verse 37, the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. You You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And you have not his word abiding in you, uh, for whom he sent him you believe not. And he's speaking to Jews. And this is where, and when we get to chapter 8, he's going to lock horns again uh, with the Jews. And they argue with him saying, you can't call God your father. And he makes the argument, he says, I know him. And if I say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like unto you. And then he says, you don't know him. For if you have known him, you would have known me also. You're of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. And the lust that he does, you'll do. And he's talking to the people that had the first five books of the Bible memorized. (laughs) The law, they had it memorized. He's talking to people that have, you know, would be equivalent to like a, a doctorate degree in theology. And he says, you know, and we're not doing this verse today, but this is verse 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. They, were, they knew the Bible frontwards and backwards, but they didn't know the subject matter of the Bible. They didn't know who the Bible was about. And it was about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like you missed it. You could study doctrine. You could study theology. You could study eschatology on Sunday night. You could study all of the ologies. But if you don't meet Christ in the process... If you study the written word and you never come to a relationship with the living word, the word who became flesh, you've missed the point. Like a lot of people go through seminary and not even knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Sad thing. They call those cemeteries nowadays, not seminaries. But let's pray and um, let's look at just a couple thoughts today. Well, three. Life will and witness heavenly father
pray that you'd guide us uh, during this time. And for the sick in our church, Lord, I just pray that your healing uh, hand would be upon them. I know that you're in them and you're dwelling with them and you're going through all of this uh, with us. Um, especially Lord Debbie and her family. I pray that you give her wisdom and peace and minister to her and through her as um, the people that are still living um, that do not know you may have an opportunity to receive you. I pray for us here today. Thank you that we can gather in our building and thank you that we have the freedom to do so. And I pray that this time would not just be just a, a monotonous thing that we do, but that we really have an encounter uh, with the living word, the Lord Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. First thing I want to look at uh, is life, then we're going to look at will, and then we're going to look at witness. But yeah, you could go forward. So the verse that we're looking at, verse 24, the King James uses verily. It just means truly, truly, I say unto you, he or she that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death uh, to life. You know from Romans 8.1, the Bible says, there, there therefore is now no condemnation to those, here's the condition, who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get in Christ Jesus and how does Christ Jesus get into you? Simply, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough to work my way into heaven. Whatever you, I, I know I've fallen short of the glory of God, however you want to phrase it. You acknowledge your need, that you're not perfect. You're, you're never going to make it there on your own. And then Jesus will then grant you forgiveness of sins and the free gift of his eternal life. Here's a good quote. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us so that he could give his life to us, so that he could live his life through us. I have, there's many variations of the same phrase, uh, and I've, I've repeated them often. This one just so happens to come from Bob George from his book, Classic Christianity. Um, and I like that phrase. It just kind of says a lot with a little bit of words. Jesus did lay down his life for us, but he didn't, he didn't just stop there, right? The cross is just half the story. Jesus did die for our sins, but he was buried and he rose again victorious um, so that he could put his life in us to live his life with us and through us. You don't do life alone. You don't do life alone. You might say, oh, I'm going to come to church and get closer to God. But realize what you're saying there. When you leave church, you're just as close to God when you got here than when you left. You don't do life alone. Jesus is in you, and he wants to do life with you and through you. And sometimes we acknowledge that, and sometimes we don't. Maybe the woke needs to be within the church. Maybe we need to wake up and, and realize what we got when we got Christ. We have his life, but it was a gift. Check out this next slide. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That's a little kind of hidden gem verse in 2 Corinthians 9.15. But thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Eternal life is a free gift. You know, when you get a gift, someone else went to the store. Nowadays, they just click on Amazon. But someone worked to earn the money to make the purchase for that gift. And when you receive the gift... It's based on the work, the performance, the love, and the intention of someone else on your behalf, right? And so when it comes to the greatest gift of all, the gift of eternal life, Jesus is offering that gift for free. All you have to do is receive it by faith. You know this verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve, death, separation, but... I like big butts in the Bible. I cannot lie. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Could you imagine if there was no but in that verse? For the wages of sin is death. Bye. <laughs> and that's what we would deserve. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. So we do deserve to be separated from God in hell, but what we don't deserve is to receive his life, his love, and his forgiveness. 
And so the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is kind of one that's not referenced a lot, but 1 John 4, 9 puts it this way. And this was manifested or demonstrated the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God. We didn't start it. He initiated it. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitutionary, satisfactory um, sacrifice for our sins. He was well pleased with Jesus. And Jesus did this leaving heaven to come to earth to live that perfect life that we couldn't live and to die the death we should have died and to rise again to give us a life that we cannot get on our own. He did it all in love. Herein is love. We didn't start it. We were so busy doing whatever. No, The Bible says no one was seeking after God. Everyone's gone their own way. Everyone's gone astray. There's none that seeks God. No, not one. Uh, that's Psalm 14 and Romans 3. I think it's also Psalm 53. He, said, he repeats the same in Psalm 14. But there was no one that, seek, that was seeking after God. God had to seek after you. So in his love, he started it. Here's another one that, on the topic of gifts that I thought was pretty interesting. Look at James. Uh, English re- Revised Version. Every good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from him. These good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky. But God never changes like the shadows from those lights. He's always the same. Hebrews 13.8. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God decided to give us life through the true message he sent unto us. He wanted us to be the most important... um, Where's the word gift? I thought there was the word gift in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's in the first one. But he decided to give us life through the true message he sent unto us. He wanted us to be the most important of all that he created. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Uh, he desires to give you life for you to express this life, to experience this life, and to enjoy it for now and forevermore. You don't have to jump through hoops to get it. It came from God, and he wants to give it to you. Here's a, here's a good quote. You aren't truly, I need to read it with an accent, though. You aren't truly wealthy until you have something money can't buy. Garth Brooks. <laughs> Yeehaw. Instead of amen. <laughs> yeah. You aren't truly wealthy until you have something money can't buy. Well, I didn't put this verse up there, but in Acts, I think it was Peter. I, this is off the top of my head. But someone tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he says, your money perish with you thinking that you could purchase the gift of God. You can't purchase it. It's been purchased for you already. And so when you have something money can't buy, I'll tell you, you could buy just about anything in this world if you have enough money. Why do you think the love of money is the root of all evil? Because you could buy your way out of a lot of crimes, a lot of injustice, a lot of injustice. You could buy your way out of all of it. One thing you can't buy is your way into heaven. Look at Romans 3.23 or 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at this, this last invitation of the Bible. Revelation 22.17. The spirit and the bride say come. That's the spirit is the Godhead. The bride is us, the church. And we're saying come. Everyone who hears this should also say Come. All who are thirsty may come, and they would have of the water of life as a free gift if they want it. You could have it if you want it. This is that's Revelation uh, twenty-two seventeen. Not there. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, so. Anyone that wants this water of life freely can come and receive it. It's there. It's a, 
It's an offer to whosoever will. Isaiah kind of says the same thing back in Isaiah 55. He says this, If you're thirsty, come and drink water. If you don't have any money, come. Eat what you want. Drink wine and milk without paying a cent. Uh, Why waste your money on what really isn't food? Why work hard for something that doesn't satisfy? And Jesus says that after he feeds the multitudes. Remember in John chapter 6, he said, don't labor for the meat that perishes, but that for which uh, endures into eternal life. And they said, well, what must we do that we might work the works of God? And he says, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. But he says, um, pay close attention, come and live. I will promise you the eternal love and loyalty that I promised. And then he goes on to talk about uh, David's kingdom there because he's addressing the Jews. But he wants them to know that God is gracious. He's loving. And he wants to give people life. Stop trying to get something that you could only get by having your faith placed in Christ. Salvation cannot be purchased by our good intentions, (coughs) our good deeds, or our good works. There are no nice try people in heaven. There's no nice try people in heaven. Eternal life is a gift from God, um, and it came from God to man based on the good works of Jesus out of his deep love for you and I. That's what spawned it. We love him because he first loved us. And God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, he died for us. So you could either accept it or reject it, but you cannot earn it. I know this is, I know this is, you've heard this. I know, I know, I understand. And you're like, man, I've, I've endured hearing about eternal life for so long. Well, there's some in here that haven't, perhaps. Maybe there's some that have heard it a lot, but maybe it needs to be said in maybe a little bit of a different way where the lights click on. You don't know. I sat in Bible college, and there's Bible college students getting their degrees in theology that got saved. There's missionaries that get saved on the mission field. There's pastors that get saved. Right? You don't know. All I'm saying is this is the good news. This is what people need to hear. There's people that are going to hear this on the Internet, too. Um, So I know this is a familiar story, and it's what we've heard often as Christians, but it needs be repeated over and over and over again. Again, eternal life is someone received. It's not something to be achieved. But I want to say this, by way of application, for those of you that have received the Lord Jesus Christ, let me just throw this out to you. If God gave us the best when he gave us the free gift of Jesus Christ, why would he spare the least? If he didn't withhold anything when he gave us the greatest gift of all, why would he withhold something smaller than the, than the best of the best? And I'm just saying this because now is not the time to doubt if you're a Christian. Do you agree with all that eternal life stuff I just said? You're like, amen, amen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you have it. Okay, good. So you trusted God for eternal life. How are you doing with the daily life? See, you've trusted him with the biggie, and you're like, oh, I got this one. Yeah, I'm saved. If I die today, I'm going to go to heaven. All right, cool. How are you doing with your Christian experience on a daily basis? See, it's almost easier to trust him for the big thing than the small thing, right? Yeah, yeah, Pastor Neil, I've got eternal life. I know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, I've heard John 3.16 a million times. When we used to be able to go to sporting events, Pastor Neil, when there wasn't fake screens and fake cheering, there used to be people that sat in the stands that held up John 3.16 at live events. Yeah, I know John 3.16. Okay, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you do. But now I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, I know times are tough, and our fear seems to be stronger than our faith, but if you've believed and received Christ, then you have the free gift of eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's not life when you start to falter and then it goes away and you come and get it again. It's eternal, everlasting life based on the promise of God to you. And he's not an Indian giver. He's not going back on that. And yeah, I said Indian giver. It's okay. 
I've lived on two Indian tribes, and they would be fine with me saying that. Indian reservations, I meant, with tribes on them. If that is true, and it is according to God's word, eternal life, that is, if we can trust him with the big free gift of eternal life, now we need to start trusting him with the little gift of daily life. Now, easier said than done. People are losing their jobs. Their, their finances are being threatened. The dollar seems to be devaluing. The markets seem to be uncertain. Do you invest in Bitcoin? I mean, the mark of the beast is coming. I don't know what kind of form that's going to take, but it might be some related to some sort of universal electronic cryptocurrency of some sort. I don't know. I'm not predicting the future. Um, but in times of uncertainty and flux and transition, you know, if you're a Christian, that if you die, you're going to be with God in heaven forever. You know that. But do we trust him with the daily life? We trusted him with eternal life, but do we trust him on the day-to-day life? Do we trust him on the day-to-day? Here's uh, Romans 8. In view of all this, I love how it says that, actually. In view of all this, view of what? Been justified freely? You were a sinner? Christ came to die for your sins? He conquered death, hell, and sin, rose again, gives you the free gift of eternal life, the greatest gift that you couldn't purchase, pay, or earn. Uh, You just received it. You didn't achieve it. In view of all this, what can we say? If God is for us, who could be against us? Those Democrats, they're against us. Those rhinos, Republicans in name only, they're against us. The Illuminati. The Trilateral Commission, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, all the alphabet intelligence agencies, they're all against us. Well, true, they probably are, actually. I'm not making light of that. That's probably a a real thing. Big tech's against us. Oh, yeah, they are, too. I've got to mention that. If God is for us, who could be against us? You think big tech is bigger than big God? Anyways, certainly not. Certainly not God, who did not even keep back his own son, but offered him for us all. That's eternal life. He gave us his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? That's daily life. So you got eternal life and you got daily life. So if he gave you the greatest thing and didn't withhold for eternal life, why would he withhold for daily life? God's for you. He wants you to experience his life now and forever. All I'm challenging you, Christian, is he gave you the greatest. Why would he not, not take care of you with the least? Right? And you could read the Bible and you could see over and over again that he uh, provides, he provides, he provides. Easier said than done. I know. It's really, it's hard. It's almost easier to just say somewhere off into the future, I'm going to die and go to be with God in heaven. But man, I owe the IRS, I've got this doctor bill, uh, my job's offline. You know, it's almost easier to say I'm going to go to heaven someday, but not to believe in God on the daily basis, right? Like eternal life seems easier to trust than daily life because it's daily. It's daily. It's faith every day. The just are saved by faith and the just walk and live by faith. It's that same part that's easy. I mean, not easy to accomplish. Jesus did it, but it's, it's free to us, but it cost Jesus his life. I understand that. But now trusting that same one that gave us his eternal life to be in our life, to live life with us and through us and in us as we experience life coming at us, which isn't always pleasant, especially 2020. And 2021 isn't starting off all that good either. Weren't you hoping like that was going to be a magic like number? Something, you know, even in your car, it, um, one of my cars is like rolling over to 100,000 and you think like it's going to break right when it goes to 100,000. But it's really, I mean, it's not. But there's something about the rolling of the odometer or the number like 2021 because it's different than 2020, obviously. It's just going to be magical. <laughs> it's been... <laughs> other than magical. Um, But I have hope in God. 
Now, let's move on to John 5.30. So we talked about life. Now let's talk about will. These next two, will and witness, are going to be a lot quicker um, than the other. I can of my own self do nothing, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. And over and over again, Jesus demonstrates that's the way he lived life. Not my will, but your will be done. Oftentimes you'll see Jesus waiting on the Father. Sometimes he would retreat. And what you get from this is like, Jesus, he'll go into a city, and it's a city not of his choosing, but the one that the Father leads him to. And he'll, he'll interact with people, and he'll heal a certain individual, but not another individual. And you're like, what in the world is that all about? And as Jerry pointed out in Sunday school, God never gave the same battle plan twice. Jesus never heals the same way too, right? Sometimes he heals a blind person by touching him, sometimes speaking. Sometimes he heals a dead person by touching him, which was against the law, by the way. But he did it because he is the one who wrote the law. Or sometimes he could tell someone, go home, your son's healed from afar. I mean, so I think what Jesus is demonstrating here is that he truly lived in such a way that it wasn't his will, but he was so connected with the Father and the Spirit, and they were so in harmony and unity. And you've got to think, Jesus stepped into time from a place that was outside of time, and he lived in the perfect family of love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he said, I will go down and dwell amongst our creation. The Father came and made his abode with him. The Spirit made his abode with him. And Jesus, as a 100% man, he communed with that Godhead relationship that he eternally has always had, and he waited for instructions. He, only, he said only the things that the God had said. He did only the miracles that God did, told him to do. He waited when God said to wait. He went when God said to go. He listened and was dialed in to the Spirit. So my challenge is, is that when you think about will, he said, I don't do anything on my own. How many things do we just do on our own? Just willy-nilly, just do it. Just do it, just do it. We'll just Nike our way through life. Just do it. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that's, that's good or bad because there's just things that you just got to do. You just got to wake up and go to work. You just got to, you know, take out the garbage at a certain time. You stinking got to move your truck on Friday morning lest you get a fourth ticket from the city of Stanton because of street sweeping. And my kids are always like, Dad, you got something on your windshield? <laughs> I even have a, 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 a reminder on that, but on my phone, anyways. Siri, you're letting me down. Google and all the Big Brother things. Just side up with me for this once and tell me to move my truck. So, all I'm trying to say, we will never do the things that Jesus did, but we could live how Jesus lived. I'm not going to turn water into wine. I'm not going to walk on the water. I'm not going to command the water to be still when there's huge waves. I'm not going to do any of that. But I could live the way Jesus lived. How did he live? By faith in the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. I could live that way, and so can you. So... And that's from Luke twenty-two forty-two. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But here's a quote and a picture I'd like to show you. It just hopefully it kind of draws this or drives this point home. There are only two choices on life shelf: either serving Jesus or serving self. And really, you could just put it this way in the context of Galatians five: there's the flesh walk and there's the spirit walk. You could walk after the flesh; it could be good-looking flesh be super disciplined religious looking flesh it could be las vegas sin city looking flesh right it could be sex drugs and rock and roll flesh or it could be wearing priestly garments flesh it could be really polished flesh or it could be really ugly flesh doesn't matter if it's not yielded to the spirit or walking after the spirit doesn't matter how you make it look 
right? And a lot of people have this flesh thing mastered, especially in church. They're really good at the flesh. Paul said, if you'll recall his testimony in Philippians 3, this is just coming to my mind, and in Romans 7, he says, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, I, I, I. He mentions the I life in the midst of not going to the bar, but of going to the synagogue. He's talking about his religious resume that was so awesome that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of Jews, the man of the year, the one that could run circles around any Bible scholar, and he says, I did it all in the flesh. So what I'm saying is, he had really, really, really squeaky clean, admirable, everyone, everyone looked up to Paul's flesh. Or you have the Gentiles that are like having sex with their mother-in-law. Flesh, right? You have a lot of ugly looking flesh too. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll type flesh. You have that all too, right? All I'm saying is there's one road that could be the flesh. Not your will, Jesus, but my will be done. And you could make it look good or you could just let it fly and just be lasciviousness and... um, uh, just lawless and unrestricted, libertarian, you might say. Um, so you could have that, or you could say, I choose to yield to the Spirit the same way that Jesus did. Remember, he was tempted to do his own will four times by the devil, because the devil knew what was going on. And he tempted him to act uh, independently when Jesus was acting dependently on the will of the Father. So we could either walk after the flesh on our own, or we could choose to walk after the Spirit and the will of the Father. The world, the flesh, and the devil are cruel and want to steal and kill our joy, our purpose, and tempt us uh, to not be about our Father's business and to do His will and live the way Jesus lived. But life is too short to settle for things less than Jesus. And I want to preface that by going to a prayer of Moses found in the Psalms. But before we get there, um, I want to make these observations about Moses. Before we read his prayer in Psalm 90, uh, Moses, who loved God and followed the Lord all the way up to the point of crossing the Jordan and into the Promised Land. Moses was a friend of God, the Bible says, and um, he did not listen to the will of God and go into the land, the Promised Land, by faith. Instead, Moses, as they were wandering in the wilderness, got angry with the people uh, and their constant doubt and fear and murmuring and complaining. And Moses got his eyes off of Christ and onto his contentious circumstances, you might say. Which, when you think about it, you don't really blame the guy. I don't, I don't, I could see Peter, I could see myself and Peter denying Jesus. I couldn't see myself as Judas, but I could see myself as Peter, like, at the fire. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that Jesus guy, huh? what, a, what a crazy cat, you know? Because um, he didn't want to get killed, you know? You could see yourself as Thomas, well, you know, except I see the nail prints in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. You could see yourself in a, look, smite the shepherd and the sheep, they're all scattered, what, you see yourself as John the Apostle, the one that wrote the gospel that we're reading? He was the only one that went to the cross. Everyone else left. And you, th- and you think you and I would have been some sort of super Christian? Been like, though all will forsake you, I will not. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You too are going to forsake me. So we come to Moses, and here's this guy that's doing all these miracles, is a friend of God, and he goes up to the cleft of the rock and he says, let me see you, God. And I think this Exodus 32 or 33. And God says, you can't see me and live. No one can see me and live, but I'll show you my goodness. And he makes his goodness to pass by. And so Moses is wandering in the wilderness with uh, a few million people that came out from Egypt. And they murmured and complained about not having water. And so God says, all right, this rock, take your staff, smite it. And the water will come out. Fast forward, murmuring and complaining. They doubted God's provision. He gave them manna. He gave them water. Enough water to feed their cattle, all of their, their other animals, provide for millions of people. So it wasn't just like, we call it donut water where we get our water. It's a donut shop that has 
It's like 20 cents a gallon. And um, we, just, we just call it donut water. Um, but it's like the best water I've had. It's super good. Um, I could imagine this rock water uh, was really good, right? Um, probably didn't have the fluoride in it or anything added. It was probably just really good water, right? From God. God provided the water for millions of people. But yet they doubt. God led us out here to kill us. And Moses, you're deceiving us. And he's like, ah. And so he doesn't speak to the rock. He smites the rock. Distorting the picture. Because that rock we know from 1 Corinthians 10, 4 was Christ. And Christ only had to be smitten once. He was only crucified once. And then after that, you speak to him in a relationship. That was the picture. And he distorted the picture of the person. And so instead of going into the promised land, God tells Moses, you're not going to go. And so everyone dies that comes out. The original people that came out of Egypt dies in the wilderness except two, Joshua and Caleb. Why? They had faith to be let out and they had the faith to be let in. Moses had faith. It's not like he died and went to hell. But he didn't live the abundant life God wanted him to live because he chose to go after the flesh. All I'm saying is we're all capable of that. Moses? Yeah, Moses. Moses. So he said, basically, not your will, but my will be done. I'm going to make water on my own terms. I'm going to do it my own way. But all I'm trying to say is life is too short to let the world, the flesh, and the devil rob you of experiencing Christ on a daily basis. It's too short. Let's listen to what Moses has to say in Psalm 90. We spend our years as a tale that's told. I'd like you to say la on that thought for a second. Just pause and think about that. You know the dash on your tomb, right? Mine's 1972 is when I was born. Who knows when it's going to end? Dash. I've, look at that verse. What's your dash? We spend our years as a tale that's told. It's all told in that dash. We spend our years as a tale that's told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, it's eighty. Uh, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. You know, we're not in the Garden of Eden. God even told Adam, he said, the ground is cursed. You're gonna, as a man, you're going to have to work, sweat and toil and provide. And, you know, and so it's kind of referring to that. Um, but here's the verse that I'd like for us to kind of take from this prayer of Moses. He says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That's a very sober thought, right? You take a little inventory of your dash, say, what's my life? Maybe you've been walking after the flesh for most of your Christian life. I know this uh, New Year's, like a lot of people make resolutions. You can make this daily thing. You could say, Lord Jesus, not, Jesus is the promise keeper, right? He's the promise keeper. But you could maybe kind of go into this with Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? It's my desire to at least experience more victory and less defeat this year than I did before. It's at least my desire. I want to show up, and I know your life's in me, Will you just be that life, be that victorious life in me and through? If you lead me to witness to people, may I witness to more people this year than I did last year. If you lead me to pray for more people, may I pray for more people this year than I did last year. If you lead me to read more of your word, not just for personal like knowledge that puffs up, but so that... I could know you and then make you known more to other people. Nice caveat, right? To know you in order so I can make you known, may you give me that wisdom and that knowledge. And I think God will honor that. If, see, we have a will though. We need to like, go into that with that willing, available attitude to appropriate the life that you already have. You already have this life. <clears throat> so my challenge is this now is the only time we have to live by faith teach us to number our days now is the only time we have to live by faith I, it's not on the screen but you'll know this verse Hebrews 11 1 
Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But I want to take those first two words of that verse. Now faith. Now faith. The now faith. Why do I say that? Because in heaven, no faith. No faith in heaven. You're like, well, that sounds not Christian. Well, faith is believing without seeing. And when you're in heaven, you will see Jesus as he is. That's why the devil can't be saved. Why can't the devil get redeemed? Because you need to be saved by faith. Well, how come, how come the devil can't be saved by faith? Because he sees and believes. You've got to be saved by faith without seeing. So, now faith. Now's the only time we have faith. I'm not saying that's a good, like a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, experience it to the hilt. Experience it. Lean into that because you're going to spend eternity seeing and believing in the presence of God. So, now's the time. Now's the time to tell others the gospel. Now's the time to forgive others and to be gracious and loving. Now's the time to stand and fight uh, the good fight of faith. Now's the, the time to trust in the Lord and to follow his eternal leading and prompting. I'm speaking more to myself than I am to you, to be honest with you. I'm speaking more to me than to you. So don't, don't take this the wrong way. I have, not, I have not lived this as much as I could, but I want to. Now, faith. We don't have a cold, calloused, competitive, rigid, relationless, rule-keeping religion. We have an abundant, spirit-filled, led relationship with the Lord. And I'm almost done. I think I have a, a picture on that. Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship with God through Christ. That statement's not original with me. It's been said over and over and over again. And there's been many posters and banners made with it. Um, Jesus isn't my religion. He's my Lord. There's t-shirts about it. But it's a true statement. It's really, because we don't have a cold, calloused, calculated, competitive, religious, rule-keeping system. We have a Savior that lives in us, and He wants to do life with us. So we have an abundant, Spirit-filled, led relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the solution? Walk in the Spirit the way Jesus did. Now, I'm going to tie this verse into that. So it's found in Galatians. Galatians 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. The first five books of the Bible, the whole law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Christian cannibalism. That's what happens when you... You know, there's so much infighting in churches a lot of times that could be avoided. Pride comes in. You know, say... I'm really good at the piano. And someone else that comes, and they're also good at the piano. But if I make the piano my whole identity, and I'm the Lord of the piano, right? How dare you step into my circle, right? Pride, uh, ego, there's gossip. We're not going there to the lust of the flesh, but if we keep going on in Galatians 5, he's going to talk about it. Hatred, division, gossip. Did I mention that one already? And there's gossip in there too, which is talking about people behind their back, trying to bring them down. And um, there's lying, there's debating. Uh, All this stuff, the devil loves to throw gasoline on that fire. It's all the flesh. But fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness. It says in that, after that. And against such there's no law. But he says, but if you bite and devour one another, Christian cannibalism, they turn on one another. Why? Because they're not walking after the Spirit. It's my will, my will, my will. It's the I life. Not your iPhone, it's the I life. It's the me life. But if I say, walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you, how do you combat that? You don't... How do you combat not eating carbs? I won't eat carbs. I won't eat carbs. I won't eat carbs. Well, you're thinking about carbs. You're probably going to go eat them. 
because you're, you're saying that. How do you combat not walking after the flesh? I won't walk after the flesh. I won't hate that person. I won't talk about them behind their back. I won't, I won't. Well, you're thinking about it. The way you offset that is you focus on the Spirit, you walk in the Spirit, and guess what? Now you're focused on the Lord Jesus, and you're walking after Him, and you're thinking about Him, not what you can't do or shouldn't do, but who your life is, and then all of a sudden that stuff just, you start to experience more victory and less defeat. Coming from walking and focusing after the Spirit and not focusing on the things that you shouldn't do. You already know that you shouldn't do them. You already know it. Because he says this, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed one to another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Because you know what you want to do as a new creature in Christ? Love people, forgive people, build them up, encourage them. That's what you want to do. You know what you don't want to do? Have enemies, fight, have division, have discord, um, have relational problems, uh, have bitterness and unforgiveness. You don't want to do that. Why? Because your new nature is based on the nature of Christ. And he's the opposite of all of that. That's who you are. That's why I, so, I spend so much time on identity, identity, on identity, identity. Because then it, it translates into your activity. You're a forgiver. You're a lover. You're not a grudge holder. You're not bitter. That's who you used to be. That's who you are when you walk after the flesh. But that's not who you are in your new nature in Christ. Amen. So, you got to know who you are in order to be who you are. This last one's, I'm not going to actually spend a lot of time on this because I think I've labored enough. Witness. For the works which the Father has given to me to finish the same works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me 